As I li listened to all those various things that were said, and I take notes also, not as good as Barbara, but I take notes anyway. But I wrote them down, and, and then I've got all these various lessons, and, and you know, I'm fixed for months into the future for as, as far as thoughts, because not only are you getting material, you're getting all kinds of thoughts that send you in other directions. But then this morning, I found myself in a situation of, of the man that's got so many birds in the trees, and he's, he's got to zero in on one of them if he's going to have anything to eat, you know. And so all this information, in what direction do I go? And so I decided to take a very general approach, uh, and hopefully uh, we'll find material in there to motivate you to, uh, to really think about your relationship with God and what you have in Christ, if you already have it. Uh, if you don't, maybe something will be said to cause you to, to re-examine, to think about this information about Jesus and salvation in Him. Uh, if you've been a Christian for a number of years, I'd like for you to think about the information uh, from the standpoint of, of you trying to reach others. Uh, God loves everyone in the world. We're all his children. You cannot, if you're a Christian, do anything more pleasing to God than to have some part in bringing an individual out here who is not a Christian to Christ. Uh, to have some part in, in trying to help somebody deal with the problems that they're having in life by getting to recognize that all of those problems if we really understand it, are, are answered in Jesus. What I'd like to do is talk about the power of the gospel on the human heart from the standpoint of where it derives that power. By gospel, I mean simply the good news. Uh, where does it get its ability to touch our heart? Uh, why do we find it so many, meaningful? Why is it that it's the dominant religion on the face of the earth today? The closest thing to it is not half as numerous. Almost 40% of the population of the world gives at least some uh, statement of fact, of acknowledgement, of belief, of, of this information. Anywhere you take this message, it converts people. If there's a nation in the world today where the gospel is not really converting people, it's because the political system in that country will not let it in. Anywhere the gospel goes, whether it was to Europe, or to America, or to Asia, anywhere the political system will allow it to have a shot, it will take over. Rome controlled the world uh, in the days of Jesus, and on the one hand, Rome was a totalitarian government, but on the other hand, Rome had some good points. Rome controlled and kept law and order in the civilized world of that day. If you were a Roman citizen, you could travel all over the known world of that day and have the protection of Rome. Rome did something else. Rome was very tolerant towards religion. For example, communism has been very intolerant towards religion. And we've had to actually sneak Bibles into communist countries and, and meet underground and in basements in order to worship. Rome was very tolerant towards it. It just gave it free course. Everybody could talk about their God. The Jews could keep the Sabbath and talk about their God. The pagans could worship the idols. Rome had a government that wanted the taxes and they wanted power, but they allowed a very high degree of religious freedom. The end result was Christianity ate it up. It destroyed Judaism and wiped it out and replaced it just as God intended for it to do. 
It wiped out paganism. It wiped out idolatry. It ate up the Roman world and became the official religion of the Roman Empire by the 4th century. And there has never been a situation where Christianity has been given a free shot, an equal shot, at the minds of people, but that it always comes out on top, and the same is true today. It's no accident that you're here with interest in Christianity over and above anything else that calls itself religion. I'd suggest to you that Christianity begins to derive its power to influence your mind, first of all, because it meets a need that you have. You know, from what I've read in business publications, the first step in having a successful business and making money, uh, the first step is to look for a need and then to meet it. Uh, and, to, and so in any area, the first step, if you want to go into business, is to look at this particular area and say, what is it that they need that I can supply? And that's the first step. And this is true in any particular city or anywhere, looking for a need and then meeting that particular need. We're going to die. And we don't want to die. We love life. Now, you wouldn't always gather that from listening to us. We, we gripe when it rains and we gripe when the sun shines. We gripe when we work and we gripe when we don't have work. We, we complain about being bored, we complain about too much. We complain about being mistreated, we complain about the traffic, and you just think that sometimes listening to us that we just hated life. But then all that has to creep its ugly head in is something like cancer, or a heart problem, or an automobile accident, and it throws our whole system into shock. We don't want to die. Despite the problems with the traffic, despite the fact that it sometimes is too hot for our good, or more than we like it, despite the fact that it sometimes rains too much, we think, despite the fact that we sometimes get sick, despite the fact of the potential of accidents out there, we love life, and we don't want to give it up. And the only philosophy, the only religion, the only whatever you would call it that is offered out here in the world that addresses in any adequate way whatsoever the subject of death is Christianity. Buddha didn't address it. Muhammad is laying over in a grave just as dead as he can be. And his followers make a pilgrimage to his uh, tomb regularly. He didn't address it. Only Christianity addresses the subject of death in any way that is adequate for the majority of the minds of the people that walk this earth. A man by the name of Rogers in the past century made the observation when dealing with all the philosophies of life that any philosophy of life that did not deal with death was inadequate because the greatest reality of life we all face is death. And so Christianity hangs out on the horizon before you the possibility of life beyond the grave. You know, even though you were not there, you know that they killed him. You know that they buried him. Those are historical facts. And you know that three days later, 
atheist, infidel, everybody acknowledges the grave was empty. And you also know there were some very sincere, dedicated, intelligent, sacrificial people that spent their life saying they saw him and experienced him after his resurrection and they believed it so strong they went to their, their death. Now everybody knows that, whether they're going to accept it. So it, that is enough if you have nothing else to at least say, hey, there's, there's a possibility it's so. There's hope. And so the power of Christianity comes to you and meets the greatest need that you have, and that is you need to know how to handle death. You know, what's going to be the next thing that's going to creep into the public school system? We're doing everything in the world now. You know, we're handling, trying to handle AIDS. We're trying to handle uh, people's sexuality. Uh, we're trying to handle the drug problem. Uh, everything is there uh, because somebody up there has decided that, you know, the school system is supposed to do all this. Now we're going to handle death. It's already been taught. And so in our textbooks, it's going to become material to train people how to train these kids how to handle death. You know what's going to happen when the public school gets into all this material on death and telling people how to handle it? They're going to fall on their face. Because you see, many years ago, we kicked God and the Bible out of the public school system. We just flat kicked it out. How do you handle death without God? How do you handle death when there's no hope that you've got? Well, Johnny, you've just got to understand that although your mother uh, was a good person, that uh, the truth is she's been snuffed out. She is no more. She doesn't exist. She was no more than an intelligent tadpole to begin with that evolved its way up, except the facts, Johnny. And that's what you are. You're going to be snuffed out too. It doesn't offer a whole lot, does it? Now we're going to fall on our face as the secular humanist and the atheist put the public school system in the situation of handling it. We're not equipped. We don't have anything to offer. So Christianity, the only force in the world, comes along with a man that lived and died and left behind an empty tomb. And so it begins with just that information to meet a need we got. Maybe there's at least the possibility that there's something beyond the grave. We've got another need. Not only do we, do we need in some way to understand death and to understand whether or not there's any possibility of life beyond the grave, you know what psychologists say the greatest need of a child is psychologically? When you bring that little child into existence, you know what its greatest need is? Security. Security. Whether you develop a Hitler or a Stalin or a Sigmund Freud or a Robert Ingersoll, men full of bitterness and hatred, are you developing Apostle Paul? or someone of that nature, a lot of it goes right back to those first five to seven years and this tremendous need that we have for a security. Somebody says, what do you mean for security? Well, it begins, for example, in somebody loving you. The way you provide security for your child initially is you simply love them. It's that simple. And so the greatest, the most important thing that a parent does for their child is to love that child. And there's been experiments down through the centuries that, that demonstrate and show that 
the human organism cannot even love, cannot even live if it's put in a situation where it's devoid of love. Hitler had experiments where they were not going to touch children, bring up babies without touching them and, and not give them all the weaknesses of humanity. They didn't live. The, the baby needs love as much as he needs food for the body. And so we need security. Well, where does it come from in this world? Some of us are fortunate and we have parents that love us. But man, when you get beyond just a few people, how many people really love you? I mean, get beyond just maybe your mate, uh, your children, your parents. If everything is good there, grandparents, how many people really love you that you know of? Of all these billions of people. And then a lot of us don't get it in the right way from the parents or, or from, the, from the mate or, or the, even the close people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the gospel meets your need to deal with death and it gives you a security blanket. The creator of the universe loves you. If you really understand that, I mean really understand it, you can live and be mentally healthy even if your mate doesn't love you or if your parents don't love you or if nobody else loves you. I'm not saying that's the ideal situation, but I'm saying a person that really understands that the creator of the universe made you in his image and loved you so much that he gave Jesus as a sacrifice for your sins. He died for you because he loved you. And I don't care what the songs say about you're going to know someday. You know now. He died not because you deserve it. You and I didn't deserve one speck of blood that he shed on our behalf. He died because he loved us. It was that simple. And so whatever your background, you, you cry out for security. All of us want to be loved. Some of us are fortunate, and we have a certain amount in this world. But we all want it. Sometimes we're too proud to admit it. But we all have the need to be loved. It's there. And we learn through the good news, not only is there hope beyond the grave, but the creator of the universe loves me. Paul said, somebody might die for a good man. Peradventure for a righteous man, somebody might even dare to die. But while we were enemies of God, Christ Jesus died for us. I don't care if you've been married five times, like the Samaritan woman that Jesus talked to, in John 4, I don't care if you've committed adultery like David. I don't care if you've had a part in mistreating good and righteous people did, like the Apostle Paul did. I don't care if you've lied and cheated and you've been a poor parent or a poor son or a poor whatever. God loves you. He don't love what you're doing, but he loves you just like you love your children even when they do wrong things. You don't love what they do, but you still love the child. God loves you. 
And he gave Jesus to die for you. And if under, the understanding of that doesn't make you feel secure, I guarantee you, don't pay $50 or $100 an hour to that psychiatrist. He can't come close to that. People are going to psychiatrists, paying them $100 an hour, but they really, they need security. They need to be loved. He, he doesn't have anything to come close to it. So it meets your need to understand death, the reason for it, the hope beyond the grave. It meets your need for security that you can live every day of your life knowing that no matter how bad I am, or knowing that even if I'm trying to be good and people still don't like me, God loves me. And that's not some nebulous word. How much does he love? He loves enough to give his own son. That's how much he loves. He loves enough to give his own son. Along with meeting our need for death, meeting our need and security, the gospel comes along and gives us something else we need. You ever notice the, the, all the different articles in the magazines anymore that, uh, in fact, this is true all the way through the years and through the centuries, how many articles are telling you how to become the right kind of wife or how to become the right kind of husband and how to become the right kind of parent or how to get along in the workforce or how to get along with your neighbor and how to have good relations or, or are they dealing with how do we make peace between Israel and Syria? How do we, how do we get those people in Yugoslav not to fight? You know, the, all these articles dealing with all these things going on in our relationships and everybody has his theory. Everybody has this theory. And their theory is about as good as your theory. You see, they're just frail human beings, just like you and I are. Jesus gives guidance to life. He gives us something concrete. The law was given by Moses. But I read 1,500 years of Old Testament history, and there wasn't a single person that gives me a glimpse of what happens when a person actually lives that law. Moses died because of his sins. He didn't get to go into the land of Canaan because of his sins. By the way, if you get to heaven, you're going to be there with Moses. Because that's not, that's not what he's depending on to go to heaven. Jesus is the Word incarnate. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word has put itself in human flesh. Think of the perfect law of God embedded in the human mind, completely controlled. And maybe we can begin to understand what we have in Jesus. And so, unlike the Pharisees, who spent their lives going over every meticulous detail of the law and wrote hundreds and hundreds of pages of commentary on all the various commands uh, telling us how to do this and how to do that. And uh, they wrote hundreds of pages on just how to keep the Sabbath day. You and I have a very simple task. We take a look at Jesus. And we look at how he handled life. And God said, this is, what's life, this is what Christianity means. C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. Drop off the I-A-N. It means becoming like Christ. And so he gives us guidance. 
He says, this is the way I want you to live. So God loves you. Well, I want to please God. How do you want me to live? Look at Jesus. You know, reading books is hard for some of us, but all of us like a movie, right? Digging through the old wall can sometimes be very tedious. Figuring out all the precise meaning of the words. You can take one word, patience and etc., etc., and, and spend discourses on that one word. And so God says, I know you're not all the best readers around, and I know we can get lost in the philosophy, and so I'm going to give you a movie. And, and so we look at Jesus. And we see an absolutely perfect life. And through that life, we get guidance to handle all the things of life that we'll ever have to deal with. So the power of the good news comes in the fact that it meets your needs. It meets your need about death and life. It meets your need for security, your knowledge that the creator of the universe loves you. It meets your need for guidance. And it derives its power on the human mind, I'm convinced, because of it meeting these needs that we have that are not answered in any other way. We have a need to look up to something beyond ourselves. In fact, the need is so strong that we're always looking around for something to idolize. Have you ever watched carefully when they, when they have the ball games or, or, the, or the stars appear on various things on TV and, and, and the people that just are trampling on one another to get to these stars or to get to Michael Jordan or Elizabeth Taylor or Bob Hope or whoever it is. That we have this need, it's like we think something magical is going to happen if I can just talk to one of them. You see, we know that we're pretty frail and, and, we, and we, something that's above us, we look up to it. We, we know how frail that we are. We want something above us to look up to. But Mike Jordan can't jump high enough. Oh, let's talk about Mike Jordan hanging in the air. You know how high he gets off the ground? Three feet. I'm 52 years of age. I can get two feet off the ground. That's right. That's the difference between me and Mike Jordan. One foot. <laughs> he runs down the floor in six seconds. I run down it in eight seconds. Two second difference. Elizabeth Taylor, I mean, what is the world is the difference between her and she has her mold in the right place? Her nose is shaped exactly right. What, what is it? We're, we're so desirous to find something above ourselves. Christianity gives us God, the creator of the universe. We don't need to worship human beings. They're all as weak and frail as we are. They'll all come up short. They'll all say the wrong things. They'll all do the wrong things. We have the creator of the universe, the one that it is impossible for him to lie, the Hebrew writer said, the one who loves us, the one who has the world in the palm of his hands, the one that, as Carl said when he prayed, can do so many things that that you and I feel so frustrated at because we cannot handle it. 
We have a desire to worship something beyond and above ourselves, and we have the perfect one in Christ and our Father in heaven. All our spiritual needs, all our emotional needs, all our mental needs are met in Jesus Christ in the relationship to God that we can have through him. This afternoon, we're going to talk about the material in the Bible that deals with these aspects of our mind that help us to appreciate this information. You see, he meets my need in death, but there's something about my intellect that cries out for proof. It is hard for my heart to rejoice in something that my mind finds unproven. He meets that need. He meets our need for our emotions. He meets the need that we have in our conscience. We, we walk around feeling guilty because we're made in the image of God, we have conscience, and when we do that which we perceive as wrong, we stand condemned of our own selves, and we feel guilty. And the Bible deals with our conscience. And it teaches us how we can walk every day of our life with a pure conscience and without guilt, even though we're imperfect. And so this afternoon, we talk about how specifically the Bible meets our intellectual needs, how specifically it meets our emotional needs, how specifically it meets the need of our conscience, and then we conclude our examination for today of our subject on the power of the, of the gospel, the good news, on our minds, and what it can really do for us in this life. If you're here in our audience this morning, as one that is not a Christian, if you have reached the point in your own examination of the scriptures and the information that you believe that God loved you and expressed that love in Jesus, I don't care what you have done in life. And don't let anybody else convince you otherwise. You'll never be good enough. God loves you. Jesus died for you. If you're sorry for what you've done and you want to change and go another direction, that's what the Bible calls repentance. Put your trust in the sacrifice of Christ and you can have the remission of your sins and start over brand new and continue having the remission of your sins. God knows when you feel it in your heart. But I don't see your heart. And so I don't know until I hear you confess with your mouth your belief in Jesus as Lord. God knows that you've identified with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus when he sees it in your mind. But it's no accident that God has given us the command that after we repent to be baptized into him for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, baptism is an act of faith where an individual is immersed in water, comes out of the water, and the Bible says it symbolizes your identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when you in faith submit to that, then I know and everyone else knows, and you have expressed your faith that you have identified 
with the death, the burial, the remission, uh, and the resurrection of Christ, you have the remission of your sins, the hope of eternal life. If you're not a Christian and desire to respond, or if you're a Christian that in any way wants to respond, and for us to pray with you or for you, we give you the opportunity as together we stand and sing.